So what does it mean then to, to have this childlike faith? And simply put, I think it means for us to be able to give without reservation. Have you ever had that moment where a kid was standing maybe on a little retaining wall or standing on the edge of a pool or standing on the top step and just leaps into your arm and you weren't even paying attention, but they had such a kind of faith that you're going to catch them, and you luckily did. But their faith, even if it was misplaced, even if it was misguided, was just without reservation. They knew that you would catch them or they just didn't fear the consequences of you not. And I think it's this kind of abandonment that God invites us to trust with a childlike faith. Tonight, I want to talk about generosity and, and specifically about our giving. And giving our lives to Christ means that we shift a pronoun. And the pronoun is giving from mine to his. And no matter how hard one has worked, no matter how hard one has overcome circumstances, everything is a gift. Our education, our influence, our privilege, our opportunities, our skill set, our intellect. All of this, I believe, is a gift from God. And when we give our lives to God, what we're saying is, it's all yours. Help me steward your life through me. And so all of these things, whether because, you know, the ability to have friendships or gifts, it's all the ability to generate, whether it's our generating an income. In other words, being a Christian is learning to see our whole life as a gift. And when we talk about generosity, then everything, it's learning to understand, about, we typically understand it as giving. But I would say this, giving comes from one of two places or one of two perspectives. Giving either starts with, here's my stuff that I'm offering or giving of what belongs to God. One, if it's all of mine, I'm just doing something that feels a little above and beyond. If I'm giving from my resources, I'm giving something almost like a tip. Well, you did what was expected, or maybe here's a little above and beyond. But if I give from the standpoint of it's God's, I'm stewarding his provision. I'm stewarding God's blessing. I'm stewarding God's abundance. And so I want us to consider how you give of your life. Um, and, and so I had this friend who um, I would call a, a, you know, a very committed Christ follower, and we had gone through a couple of years of mentoring. We were talking about this idea of practicing generosity, and he was a very talented person, very bright guy, graduated from uh, university with an economics degree. He, um, he also played um, you know, Division I football, uh, really bright, really athletic, and um, we got to this issue, and, and, and a solid, committed Christian. And he came to this issue of finances. He had always grown up with money. But when it came to now he's on his own dime, he knew that he was supposed to be able to give. And so he would kind of give a little here and give a little there. And I asked him about first fruits giving, that is giving from the first 10% as what we would call our tithe. Now, I don't think we're supposed to just limit our giving to our tithe because I believe God in, in, confronts us with opportunities along the way that we can make offerings to as well. 
But my point for this story is, as I begin to ask him about it, he would say, I believe that God has blessed me. I believe that I have an abundance. I said, then why wouldn't you start at the beginning of the month and give God the first fruits of what you've earned? And he was really honest. And he said, I guess because I'm not sure I can trust God that there'll be an enough at the end of the month. And I thought that was a really honest commentary. I want to challenge you not just to think about your giving of your financial resources. I want you to think about giving your whole lives. Because if we give the entirety of our lives, our finances will soon follow. It'll be a natural overflow of our lives being found in Christ. So I want to explore the idea of giving with our whole lives. What I think happens, though, and this you can find in your app uh, if you want to fill in the blanks, I think what happens is we want to trust and then learn to give. But it's only, uh, it's only in giving that our faith actually grows. Let me say that again. We want to trust and then learn to give. Somehow I can trust you now, so therefore I'll give more. But that's not actually faith. God invites us. The only, it's only in giving that our faith is allowed to grow. There's a passage in Luke chapter 9 that I want to explore. And I've read it for years. And I think there's some things that we as just um, English readers miss in so much of the, the layers of the text. And it says this. Uh, um, because I think in our giving it means uh, of our lives, it means there's a cost involved. And again, I want to talk about not just giving our financial resources, I want to talk about giving our whole lives. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you, being to Jesus, wherever you go. And Jesus replied, well, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And so let me just explain to you what Jesus is talking about here. He's using some layered text that the Jewish uh, hearers and Jewish readers would have understand. If you understood the oppressive regime of the Roman Empire, you would know that their symbol of the Roman Empire was an eagle. And so the nod to birds have nests is Rome and the Roman Empire's oppressive power and authority. And foxes was a rabbinic term referring to those people who were in leadership but didn't care enough about the people under them. And it was a re reference to the Herods living in large palaces. So Jesus, being somewhat of a subversive, comes along and he says, oh, you want to follow me? You know what it takes to follow me? There's a cost involved. You can't just say, I want to add God to my life and help make it even better than it already is. I want to add God to life and experience more blessing. He's saying, you want to follow me? There's a cost involved. And one of the costs was people had an expectation of who Christ would be, that he would be the new Moses, that he would deliver them under the, out of the oppressive regime that was Rome, just like Moses had led them out of uh, Egypt's oppressive domination. He's like, no, it's not going to look exactly like that. But there is a path towards new life. See, one of the things we look at is 
when we talk about giving, it's a this for that. But the cost isn't just a trade-off. The cost is for new life. It's a new way to be human. It's a new operating system. And only until we give our whole lives in complete surrender do we then have a chance to experience the life that God intended. But if we manage it with control and moderation, what we miss is God's blessing of new life and our faith actually growing. So here, (laughs) Jesus is saying, it's not my power, it's not my charm, it's not my wealth, it's not my savvy, and this world is not my home. What he's saying to these people who want to follow him, because up until this point, Jesus has been providing fish and chips. He's, he's, he's provided some bread. He's provided some healing. He's provided some curing. He's providing some deliverance. But he's saying to all the people who are now, he's gaining a popular following. He's saying, these are not my gifts. This is not my way. This is not my kingdom because Jesus, people were trying to give Jesus power and authority. The kind that Rome had, and he's like, no, it's not like that. The kind that the Herods had, no, it's not like that either. And so what he's saying is, I'm not at home with wealth and influence and power and authority that serves my interests, particularly when it's at the expense of other people. It's one thing for our lives to benefit and say, thank you, God. But it's another thing to acknowledge that the people Um, who are producing a quality of life for us are maybe getting exploited. There has to be in the Christian mindset a growing concern for those who are exploited for their efforts. And this is what we talk about when we talk about things like fair trade and a dignified wage. And this has to come into the Christian mindset. Jesus is saying, these are not just my gifts to steward, but he has for us a kind of abundance that he wants us to enjoy, but he wants us to leverage for his gain. Now, a couple of other things that came out of this passage. He said to another man, follow me, Uh, But he replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead, but you go out and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, well, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow looks back and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God, which sounds extremely harsh, except what Jesus is saying, you have to go all in. If you flirt with Christianity, if you dabble with sort of behavior modification, it will never create the kind of life change that's possible. So the idea of being fit for a plow, if you look over your shoulder when you're plowing, you're not going to stay the course. You're going to veer. And the reference to why wouldn't Jesus let let this guy go back and bury his father? Well, the idea was the guy's dad wasn't dead. He was saying It's just not a convenient time. I've got to care for my father, and it might be a few years, but I'm going to get to you. I'm going to follow you, but just wait. It's sort of like when we say, God, if I can just achieve this level, boy, I will really start to give then. If I could get this kind of raise, then, then I'll start to write checks. Boy, when my kids... Um, get to a certain age that we don't have to have babysitters, then we can do, or when my kids just get out of the house, then I'll be able to serve you in them. Boy, if we keep 
thinking about when we'll give our whole hearts or when we'll serve more faithfully, when we'll be more devoted, we'll miss the opportunity for God to do a work here and now. This is what it means to give our whole life to Christ. And it's like we keep tapping the brake and saying, I'll follow you later when it feels a little more convenient. And he's saying, no, go all in and trust me in the margins. Trust me to make up the difference. See, again, I would say we want to trust God and then learn to give of ourselves. And what God's inviting us to do is just the opposite. It's only in giving of our lives that our faith actually grows. There has been several men who... uh, throughout uh, the last couple hundred years that have created a chain of events that have been really significant. And it's simple and ordinary men who did extraordinary things and began to do um, just faithful work. In fact, one of the ways I like to think about faithfulness is faithfulness has um, kind of a way of being looked at as unremarkable. But faithfulness, I would contend, is maybe the new success. It doesn't always look flashy, and it doesn't always look sexy, but faithfulness is part of the heart of God. And so we have opportunities each and every day to make a significant difference. And I think, going back to this childlike faith, the development of every child needs to move from this me-first center of our lives. And spiritually, it's the same thing that happens, that at every age and at every stage... Christ becomes the center. And this isn't automatic. It doesn't happen accidentally. It actually requires discipline. Let me say that differently. It requires that I make it a priority. So there are things that I do that feel inconvenient, but I get discouraged, and I get let down by people, and I... um, I um, believe some lies in my mind, and I need the renewing of my mind. And so I try on at least five mornings a week where I just spend time in God's word. And sometimes uh, it feels uh, very uninspiring, and sometimes it feels extremely insightful. Sometimes it feels really timely, and other times it feels meh, indifferent. But what I try and do is systematically stay in God's word. And what I find over time, and I shared this a couple of weeks ago, is that um, I remain well-fed. I can't tell you what I ate three days ago any more than I can tell you the Bible passage that I read three days ago, other than I'm trying to stay in the renewed sense of my mind with God's truth and God's word. Similarly, um, there's things that I do to serve for the benefit of others because I want to remind myself that I'm not the center of my own life because left up to my own devices, I have a way of trying to provide for me. But there are times where I just need to go out of my way even if it means feeling inconvenienced and bothered, but I want to serve without recompense, without kind of reward without recognition, as a discipline to say, I'm not the center of my life. And when it comes to our finances, it never feels like a good time. It never feels like there's something we can afford to do to just be writing checks. But can I just suggest something to you? And I'll just speak personally. Um, 
uh, I'm in a season of life where I have a son that's about to graduate from high school and begin college. I have a, a wife who just started graduate school in January. We've got a car with 200,000 miles and um, we've got some repairs on the house that can't wait any longer. You know what the one thing I can't not afford to do? Is write a check every month to remind myself that God is ultimately the source. God provides for me. And I can get really creative. I can get really into my Northern European work ethic. I can get really stingy and say, no, I've got such limited margins. I don't even have a college account saved up. Mm -mm. I can't afford not to tithe because I need the discipline that says, God, it all comes from you. It starts and begins with you. I told you at the beginning, there's two ways to think or two perspectives of giving. One says, it's all mine and I'll give a little back. The other perspective is, it's all God's and I get to steward his abundance in me. Do I look well fed? Am I well rested? Am I perfectly provided for? Am I well loved? Yes and again, yes. I gotta tell you a couple of remarkable stories um, because it's really affected and it's just simply normal, ordinary people who gave their whole lives to following Christ. And some were granted big stages and high profile and grand popularity and other people are no names. One guy in 1854 stuck his hand in the air and said, yes, I'll volunteer with a group of teenage boys in a Sunday school class. His name, and you've never heard of him, is Edward Kimball. <laughs> Edward Kimball was a shy man, but he said, okay, I, can, I know the word of God and I can teach these boys. And he was sitting with these boys, recognizing that most of these teenage boys weren't actually paying attention and not that into it. Except he wanted them, knowing that they were soon to be out on their own and go off into their own adult lives, he wanted them to know Christ. And so he set out to say, this is way bigger than a classroom. This is way bigger than a Sunday school. And he went out after these boys and he began visiting them, not just waiting for them to come to his class. He went and found them. Well, he visited one boy who was working at a shoe store. And at the shoe store, he visited one 17-year-old boy. And he went down into the basement and he began to just tell him about how Christ had touched his life, the difference that Christ had made in him. And he said these words. He said, I leaned forward. I put my foot on the top of a shoebox and I asked him to come to Christ. Edward Kimball left that day feeling like he was, he had just botched the whole thing. Like, oh my gosh, operation waste of time. That kid thought I was a joke. Have you ever had that moment? Well, except that that kid looked at that as a watershed moment, a pivotal point in his life. Maybe you've heard of the man Dwight Moody. We have what's now known as the Moody Institute in Chicago or the Moody Bible Church, which has sent thousands of missionaries worldwide. Well, Dwight Moody, after 17, got some biblical training and went on to preach to over 100 million people on two continents. 
One of the people that he influenced was this English pastor, pastoring in London by the name of F.P. Meyer. F.P. Meyer was a little bit of a stoic. He was a little stodgy. Some would say he probably didn't even have a vibrant or real faith in Christ, but I don't know the man other than he kind of grew to this following and under the mentoring of D.L. Moody joined his ministry and started teaching and doing his own uh, circuit preaching and, and revivals. Well, he found his way to Chicago and as he was preaching, he came under the teaching of this other guy uh, who kind of walked forward and, and it was at, um, he was at Lake Forest College, J. Wilbur Chapman in the 1870s uh, attended one of these meetings and, and he became, and then also became, because he was involved with F.P. Meyer, he got to know Dwight Moody. And so the, together, the two of them began to mentor him. Well, now they're in Chicago. Well, I don't know if you are a baseball fan, but there was a guy who used to play for the Chicago White Sox by the name of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday, a, a, a fantastic evangelist, thousands of people came to Christ under Billy Sunday. He was an all-star uh, for the left fielder for the uh, Chicago White Sox and on a street corner revival meeting, sticks his hand in the air and figures out he wants to give his whole life to Christ. And so he says, I do, you know, sort of the pledge of allegiance to Christ. And he says, enough with baseball. I want to live for Christ. Well, now he's gotten involved with these guys and he starts speaking around the country. He ends up in North Carolina doing a series of, this would have been in about 1824, or excuse me, 1924. And um, through these meetings, they set up what became known as the Charlotte Businessman's Club, which was based on a, a group of businessmen who would gather in fellowship and prayer. But it wasn't just fellowship and prayer. They wanted to see Charlotte won for Christ. And so they would host speakers. One of the speakers that they hosted was a guy by the name of Mordecai Ham. I don't know if that name means anything to you. It's been in the news maybe a little bit lately. But Mordecai Ham held a series of revival meetings. But Mordecai Ham, when he showed up in 19 1934 to do this, uh, this kind of crusade style meeting was pretty discouraged. He came in limping in and he had a prayer that he prayed and it said this. He wrote this on the stationery of his hotel in Charlotte, North Carolina. Lord, give us a Pentecost here. Pour out thy spirit tomorrow. Well, guess what? His prayer was answered because at that next meeting, was a 16-year-old kid from Central High School in Charlotte, North Carolina by the name of Billy Graham. You've heard that name. It struck me because on February 21st, Billy Graham, at almost 100 years old, finally passed away. I mean, he was America's pastor. A guy with as much influence as anyone's ever had. He's, he's preached to more than 2 billion people. 2 billion people. He's had the ear of how many presidents? He was offered a million dollars in the 50s to give up preaching because he was such a dynamo in front of people to have an acting career in Hollywood. And all he would say, and this is my paraphrase, is what Jesus said, this, 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 this isn't my home. This isn't my way. This isn't my kingdom. This isn't my power. This isn't my influence. This isn't my charm. This isn't my savvy. This isn't my money. This isn't my... My life is 
Christ's, given their whole lives to Christ. These are ordinary people. Some you've heard of, some you've never heard of, but they have affected lives, and it's people simply being faithful with you. Well, I've got to conti continue on the story because in 1958, there was a college student at the University of California in Berkeley who had grown up in a broken home, had served two years in the army, and was trying to make it work at Cal. And his roommate, he, he had pledged Sigma Chi, he was a DG hasher, and he was just trying to figure out what he was going to do with his life, but his roommate says, hey, there's this guy named Billy Graham preaching over at the Cow Palace in San Francisco. Do you want to come with me? And so this college kid in 1958, at the invitation of his roommate, goes to the cow palace and hears Billy Graham preaching. And the guy that walks forward that night was a guy by the name of Ron, Ron Sunday, my dad, who walks forward and from that time on has this moment and I've got to say that even though, you know, I've listened to Billy Graham for years, I've read Billy Graham for years, um, I got to see the influence and the impact of Billy Graham's ministry. Maybe you could say, generationally speaking, a shy Sunday school teacher by the name of Edward Kimball had a generational impact ever since 1854. But here's what I saw out of my dad. I saw a guy who got tired of being a businessman, um, he didn't like what was happening in San Francisco with rising rent costs. He didn't like what was happening. He was a journeyman carpenter turned dentist, so we grew up with more of the blue collar sensibility. But he, he didn't like having to think about malpractice. He didn't like to think about what it was costing to run his dental practice, but he felt like he had this gift. And so he actually retired. He sold his practice early in 19, when he was 57 years old, but for 19 years spent roughly six to eight weeks, almost two months a year, going overseas to do medical missions because he could tell people about Christ and how Christ had made a difference. In fact, I always say it's the only midlife crisis my dad ever went through was this revival of being able to share a living faith. And in six weeks, he would pray with 300 people to come to quote, Christ and his translator would be this church planter and getting to start a church uh, in West Africa and being there the first Sunday because what are you going to do with all these people who have said yes to Christ except disciple them. I saw my dad just as a faithful volunteer who just decided that faith and community was a priority and everything around it um, was second. So Dave, I know how much you love baseball. I know how involved you are in soccer, but if it's before 12 o'clock on a Sunday morning, we don't go to those games. Do you understand? Okay, now we can play. Oh, oh okay. And so if the schedule came out, we were just gonna be at church. That, that was the rule. We just didn't miss. And you could say, well, that's legalistic, other than it set uh, a priority for what was gonna be the center of our home. And I saw my dad, year after year, uh, just take faithful roles. He was the youth leader before they ever hired a youth pastor. Mom and dad just had the youth ministry to themselves. And as a kid, they were just dragging us along. To, I remember being like five years old and all the high schoolers going to play. And there were a lot of my older cousins in the church, but going to play putt-putt golf and, and doing these, you know, 
events at the park because they were just volunteer youth leaders before pyrotechnics and social media. But then, you know, he had done so much mission work. They're like, hey, Ron, do you, do you want to be in charge of all the missions at the church? Because we're giving a lot of money away. We need someone who knows at least done some missions work. And hey, Ron, do you, we're, we're, we're putting together this group called the Owner's Rep Committee because we need someone to help steer the, they were doing this huge building project and they needed a few people who knew about construction. And, ordinary people but an extraordinary life and I would say what made it extraordinary is he went all in broken home parents divorced abusive home 1940 and so here's the story that's still being written it's Mission Hills it's my life it's our legacy it's this thing that we've yoked our lives together called these rhythms to practice a living faith that helps us know and interact with the heart of God. It helps us um, form Christ in us. It helps us like leverage our faith for the benefit of others. And it gives us a living faith to reproduce in our kids. Not a Sunday go to church, but a living active faith that takes on the incarnation of Christ. This is what it means to give our lives to Christ. So we just have a song, and I want to pray, and I want to close, but I want to pray in the spirit of Billy Graham tonight, because I would be remiss. Do we need giving? Yes, we are in the process this year of reducing. For two years, we lived in the black, and then we lost some subsidy, and we are making some adjustments this year. Uh, to our, our operating budget, and so we are behind. But the good news is we have built up some reserves, but those reserves will run out. What we're inviting everyone to do is to participate in the vision and the values of this, our faith family. It's a family. Everyone takes their part within the family in serving and giving. But what I want to talk about tonight as we close is what it means to just give your whole heart to Christ. And so I just want to pray with you uh, tonight about that prayer. Um, as you bow your heads with me and you just consider my words, you consider how people have responded to, to Christ's invitation. People said, I want to follow you wherever you go. And Christ didn't want to just get converts. He didn't want to just get someone to say, I'll follow you on my own terms. He gave them an all-in invitation, and I just wonder if you've never had the chance to say, I'm all in, Jesus. I want to give my whole heart to you. I want to organize my life, my career, my family, my parenting, my marriage, my, my opportunities, my influence, my skills in you. I just wonder if you would just consider the simple invitation that you would pray these words. I believe new life is available in you. Lord, have mercy. Take up residence in me. I pledge my allegiance to you. Help me to have a growing awareness of your presence. Lord, I believe in Jesus Christ.
If you would just pray that prayer in some simple way because you've never prayed it before, I would just love to talk to you. But Lord, we just pray tonight that you would just minister to our hearts and minds. So many people, we are living on the blessing, the faithfulness, the sacrifice, the generosity of so many saints that have gone before us. I'm thankful for the heritage that I have in Christ. I'm thankful for the, the dedication of their life and how I just get to live in the wake of their choices. But I pray that we would sow our own legacy with our own children, in our own city, and in this nation that we might be people who can bring a message of hope and healing, justice and mercy. Pray this in the name of the risen one. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Would you just stand with me as we sing these words? Great is thy faithfulness.